Hey y'all, this is Ledge, and before we get to this episode, I want to tell you a quick story. I remember when we were contacted by one of the top video fitness apps in the United States, and they were doing a total rebuild, and they wanted to do that with our engineers. So we set that up, and we've been at it for two years with 10 different team members in every possible skill set from design to product management to scrum master to development. And it's been a really exciting journey where we are completely in charge of staffing that entire team for them. That's not a common scenario, but it just gives you an idea of the reach that we can bring to the table, you know, time and time again for mobile apps and for web apps and for design. And I think that's really one of the strengths of the huge bench of talent that we bring to the table. Now for our episode. This is the Frontier Podcast powered by Gun.io, the engineer's choice for engineering talent. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at The Frontier Pod. Scott, it's great to have you on, man. Thank you for joining today. It's great to be on. Thanks for having me, Ledge. So uh, if you don't mind, give a quick intro of uh, yourself and, and what you're working on these days. I want to give the audience some context. Uh, sure. So I'm currently the director of product marketing at uh, Cinequa. Been there for about two years. Uh, I started in this industry, oh, I don't know, about 10 years ago at a company called Vivisimo, which um, got acquired and uh, eventually became uh, one of the founding you know, components of the IBM Watson portfolio. Uh, so I've got you know, a pretty well-rounded view of uh, the cognitive uh, computing market and specifically the cognitive search or insight engines market where Cinequa plays. And so cognitive search, insights, all these uh, insight search, and um, talk about that. You know, what does that actually mean uh, from the standpoint of, I guess, you know, business value, right? And uh, put some context around the buzzwords. Yeah, sure. So, at, you know, Cinequa, we work with typically large organizations with a global presence. So lots of distributed employees. It's very difficult in those organizations to get a full picture of, you know, the topic uh, du jour. So in a pharma, you know, that topic might be a new drug or, or repurposing an existing drug. In a manufacturing organization, it could be a, you know, a large airplane or, or a big part or a big project. Uh, in the finance industry, it could be a portfolio. It could be a bond fund. And getting all the information, uh, it, it's more than just aggregating across all the sources in these large organizations, it's actually making sense of the data, making the connections um, to produce a holistic view of that topic uh, that's enriched and allows the stakeholders, you know, the end users that work with that information to, to do their job more effectively and, and stay in the flow of their knowledge work. And so you're going to have to consume I mean, just, wow, hundreds or thousands of different data points from all kinds of systems there. And I guess the, the point is then, um, I guess what we would say is you want to make data-driven decisions, right, at the very top of the organization based on the inputs from all of the, the nodes in the, in the network. Is that, is that accurate? I mean, people throw those terms around a lot, but, you know, I, I think that's what you're saying. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the term that we've actually kind of glommed onto at Cinequa is information driven. And, uh, you know, it's a little bit of a play on the, the term data driven, which is quite popular. But what, what we would argue is that it goes beyond data driven. You know, data is going to tell you what's happening, you know, in a chart. And it typically maps back to numbers 
um, and showing trends and, and, and empirical types of analysis. Um, information is more than data. It has context. And I think it's the incorporation of that context that really helps you make an informed decision because now you're looking at the, the data telling you what's happening, um, but the context tells you maybe why and helps you make a better prediction um, working with the technology, of course, um, to, to really aim at better business outcomes. And I could give you some examples from our customer base. Yeah, please, please. Yeah, well, so the three industries where we tend to do best, I sort of alluded to earlier, life sciences, specifically pharma companies, uh, manufacturing companies, and uh, organizations in financial services. I mean, all of these companies, especially at the, the larger end, have a lot of disparate data that they depend on to do their business. And a lot of that data is unstructured content, right? It could be emails. It could be um, instruction manuals for how to fix uh, a significant part of a, of a car or an airplane. Um, it it could, really could be any kind of communication or document. And they, having the ability um, to uh, sort of ingest that information, first of all, make it findable or discoverable for an end user by enriching it. Um, these documents, this content can be in many different languages. So, you know, to your comment earlier, it, it's no trivial challenge. You have to have, um, in our case, you know, we have hundreds of connectors to the different types of enterprise repositories, um, converters to make sense of the content, and language support just to get the information into um, essentially what amounts to an index. And so you can actually search all these things and pull up a meaningful view then of, of any particular set of, I mean, is it, is it actually keywords or, or taxonomies or, I mean, how does, how does this work? Uh, yeah. So once you've got the um, information in the index or coming into the index, um, one of the keys is to enrich it and enriching the index, the information as it comes in, you can apply several different techniques. We use statistical analysis, which is kind of that keyword proximity, kind of that, the basic search techniques. Uh, we also use semantic analysis. So extracting, um, you know, idioms, kind of the confusing ways we, we communicate um, in various languages. Um, we extract or, and expand acronyms. Um, to make sure, you know, you can find uh, things that might only be referenced as an acronym. So enriching it. And then uh, we've incorporated in the last few years uh, machine learning. Uh, it's a great way to supplement um, the types of rule-based analysis that you can do on content, essentially letting you teach the system um, by example. So I could give you some examples there too. But if you have a curated data set, or content set that's already been classified or tagged in some way, um, machine learning offers a, a, a pretty, uh, I won't say easy, but a pretty natural way to uh, leverage that work that's already been done and then you know, project it onto the rest of your enterprise information corpus. Right, so you can kind of teach the algorithms that you know, when you see this, it kind of means these things and make these associations. And once you have established those classifiers the first time or enough times, then you can apply that across a much larger data set. Yeah. I mean, just a, an example, right? There's a customer of ours, uh, one of the top 20, uh, top largest 20 uh, banks in the, in the world. 
that use the Cinequa platform uh, to go back to a lot of content that they had um, that came out of boxes. You know, they had to scan it in. And these documents, um, they're confidential, but they didn't know how confidential. They didn't know the levels. So they used the machine learning in Cinequa to uh, basically build a model for confidentiality classification and then apply that to, you know, these millions of documents that they had lying around. They told us they saved over $40 million a year um, with that project because the only alternative to the machine learning approach was to employ humans to do it. And not only is that expensive, but it's error prone. And the danger is you, you have a lot of inconsistency. So that's one really tangible example of where, you know, using these technologies in concert can, can really uh, yield some significant business outcomes. And everybody now is talking about AI and machine learning, you know, sort of gets glommed into one big hype based conversation. These sound like some real, you know, applications, right. And the w- real ways that, that you're doing that, you know, for business value, we're just from your view, you know, kind of in the inside there, where does the hype cycle start and stop? You know, do people ask you to do magical things that are still impossible, you know, when you're out kind of on the, on the customer development trail? We do. And when we actually have a model for evaluating our customers' requirements and, and, you know, it, we call it the, you know, the wild crazy model, because, you know, some of these things are, if they're asking for magic, if they're asking us to do things that, um, you know, re- really can't be done um, with a rules-based approach, um, it, 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 it really um, kind of starts to strike us as something that maybe we ought to walk away from. I mean, certainly um, machine learning brings a lot of efficiency and it, it really makes, like in the case I mentioned with the bank, uh, if it, it has to make business sense. So it has to be clear. Uh, the goals have to be clear and it has to make business sense. Otherwise, from our perspective, it's not worth doing. Right. And you, you gave a good example there with the classification, which is kind of like a one-time money-saving endeavor to kind of catch up the world. Um, what What's an example of, I guess, you know, if not a real time, but like an ongoing sort of implementation, right, of this this type of methodology where, you know, the business kind of gets smarter and trains the models um, over time based on new stuff? Yeah, yeah, that's a fair question. You know, we're finding a lot of these things are they're very pragmatic. I would say an example of an ongoing one uh, would be another customer that's in production using our platform to route uh, support tickets. I mean, they have um, lots of different support systems. They're a huge international conglomerate that's kind of grown through acquisition. And as these tickets come in, they have to be routed to the proper experts. And it's difficult to do that expeditiously. It's, it's a moving target, right? The, 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 the types of the nature of the issues change, the groups that are going to field these issues change. So having um, some intelligence in that process to kind of unpack those support tickets, look at the language, look at the way the problems are being described, and then, you know, route those tickets um, to the right, uh, in the right direction to the right groups um, that's never going to go away. That's an ongoing business process that's been automated um, with cognitive search technology. And do you give them the capability then to say, you know, well, okay, that actually went to the wrong place and here's why and kind of fix it and, and train up and make the system smarter as it goes? Yes. Yeah. But there's um, an opportunity for reinforcement learning, of course. I, I mean, the, the two things that we look at um, for 
for training and, and, and retraining a model are, of course, the content and the data that's coming in, but also the user behavior. And that user behavior yields the feedback loop that you're talking about. It helps improve the machine learning model over time. And that's a conversation I've had, you know, a lot of times with, you know, when we get business leaders and, and technology leaders on on the show that, you know, are working in AI and, and ML. And I'm I'm constantly amazed of the the human interaction and how like how important the human is for what we call artificial intelligence. That, you know, this this does not exist. None of these solutions really exist outside of of what the humans do. It's sort of just a it's almost more like augmentation the way that all of this stuff is actually out in the wild. I think we get this idea that the artificial intelligence is, is doing stuff that, you know, and just, you kind of turn, turn it on and run away and then, you know, come back and all the work is done. That's just not true. At least in most of the conversations I've had. Absolutely. I, I mean, it, we're, we feel pretty strongly about that. Our, you know, our, our vision, I guess, at, at Cinequa is to power, the information-driven economy, right? And and when we talk about information-driven, it's kind of a third level. The first level would be kind of ad hoc decision-making, trusting our guts. You know, most enterprises have moved beyond that. Um, and then they talk about data-driven, which is a nice evolution. But if you stop there, uh, you're making decisions and potentially allowing computers to make decisions without context. Humans are really good at interpreting context, especially expert humans that have that, you know, 10,000 hours of of expertise under their belt. So that third level of, you know, what we call information-driven decision-making, it's, it's really, I think, the, the culmination of computers doing what they do best, you know, which is crunching the data and, and applying enrichment and, and making things more digestible, and then serving it up to a human decision-maker that can inject their experience and their intuition into the into the final decision. I mean that that's really where where we're trying to guide things at Cinequa. And is that I mean just broadly speaking, right? Maybe your technology, any technology. Like, where do you feel like when you look at the market now for this type of a thing? Are are we there? Or you know how how good are we at augmenting you know experienced human decision makers to just you know do better business? Is that actually a thing? And or like are we twenty percent there? And you know or 80% there? I, I think some organizations get it yeah. um, and, and are going in that direction and they're, they're empowering their employees, um, you know, leveraging this kind of technology and, and others don't, you know, and I think it's really going to show um, in the next couple of years. I mean, there was a prediction that I think IDC put out two years ago um, talking about uh, you know, a, a multi-billion dollar productivity gap between the organization's that are pursuing this, you know, information-driven paradigm, and they, they use a different word, but that's kind of how I, how I uh, interpreted it, versus those that, that aren't really incorporating or leveraging modern technology and AI techniques. Um, and, and, you know, their prediction was only out until 2020, which, you know, is next year. So um, if they're at all accurate, I, I think that we're going to really start to see, you know, the difference in performance and maybe stock prices if the public if the companies are public between those that are leveraging their it really their internal information um, versus those that are kind of proceeding more blindly so some percentage of companies are going to do a lot better at this 
you know, than others. I imagine you make that business case on a daily basis to <laughs> try to get people to buy, you know, into, into more technology. And yet it's got to be overwhelming from a business decision-making purchase decision, right? To, to just say, wow, you know, I, I am drowning in a massive amount of data and I need to put something in place to, to figure that all out. And there's so much action in the space. It, it kind of reminds me, you know, AI is very similar to, to what I'm experiencing. And we've seen it in MarTech where, you know, there's 7,500 logos in the stack now. And, you know, we see it in DevOps where, you know, it's just this proliferation of, of tools. So I have to imagine that there's that same shakeout maybe that, that is going to happen across the board of, you know, can everybody be doing some flavor of this stuff? What do you see on a macro basis from, you know, the provider side? Yeah. I mean, great, great point. What we see all the time are these big companies, like I said, globally distributed, they've made investments for good reasons. I mean, we, we, we can't criticize their investments in technology. They've bought a lot of enterprise business applications they have repositories. Like I said, they made acquisitions of companies that have these systems. And, and you, know, you come to them and they say, well, why would I buy yet more technology? And you really have to convince them that, look, this is, this is technology. It's a scaffolding around your, uh, on top of your, your existing uh, landscape. You, you need something to bring things together on a, on a topical level uh, in order that your people don't drown you know, and have to log into 17 different systems uh, when they're trying to um, address an issue in, in their call center, for example. Uh, you have to have them. It, imagine um, on the consumer level, if we didn't have search engines um, for the web, you know, it would be very difficult to leverage the web these days um, without that type of uh, either search engine or, or search-based application. Well, the same dynamic is happening in, in these large enterprises. And if they don't have that search that search layer and that analytical um, scaffolding to let them make sense of all their data in a secure way, you know, th they're going to be lost. And, and typically, that's the reality of their situation. Sure. Yeah. And on the other side of the coin, right? I mean, you could easily argue that the proliferation of consumer search made the web a better place to do all kinds of things. And so this type of insight mining, like you said, you know, is going to be invested in by companies that are on the right side of history, right? You know, that you, you will be able to do better business and better business will develop around the people that make these investments uh, versus the companies that, that don't do that and continue to sort of lag behind in the race. I think it's a great point. And, and it, there's a subtle point there is that if they don't invest, if they don't do it, if they don't you know, use a platform like Cinequa to own their own AI, they're going to be using somebody else's and somebody else is going to get the benefits. They're going to get that, um, you know, that those background um, kind of digital exhaust that they can leverage. So we tell our customers, you know, you've you got to make a decision now. Do you want to be the ones to run it or are you going to, is this something you're going to outsource? Cause it, that's a very strategic decision. Absolutely. So in, in the minutes we have left, you know, just give um, for the technically minded folks, you know, who are actually developing or interested in AI and ML, you know, talk, talk about the actual technology, you know, that kind of goes into this. We talked a lot about the how and the, the points around, you know, why you would do this and problems trying to be solved. Uh, how does it, actually happen you know where do, where does the rubber hit the road 
from uh, yeah. a code standpoint? Yeah, so there, there are kind of four areas of capability broadly. Uh, there's the area which I'll, which kind of touches on the content, right? So there you have, you know, connectors and converters that can actually access the data, like I mentioned earlier, and transform it um, into something that's sort of normalized in, in, into an index. So you've got that content, um, and that has to be broad. So you can get to everything, and it has to be secure. It has to be able to respect existing access rights for content, um, the second area I would ca- classify as kind of meaning, you know, you have to be able to enrich and connect that information that's coming in along topical lines as it enters the index. And that involves, like I mentioned earlier, you know, natural language understanding, um, various types of semantic and linguistic processing. Uh, the third area would be learning, you know, the ability for the system to self-learn. And we could be here talking about machine learning or deep learning but basically leveraging the, the way the data is changing and the way the end users are interacting with the system to improve the system over time. And then I'd say the fourth layer is, is critical. It's the presentation layer. Mm. Uh, you know, it could either be an out-of-the-box user interface uh, for you know, developing search-based applications or it could have been an API for integrating these capabilities into existing applications but none of none of it will, is useful without an intuitive way uh, to kind of expose or provision the information and insights out to an end user in in the context of their work environment. Yeah, and so your solution then is going to address those those four layers, and that's interesting because I've had conversations on both sides uh, again in the DevOps arena. You know, it's a proliferation of tools. There's one side that kind of says, hey, you know, we really ought to do this all with one sort of paradigm and maybe under one logo because, you know, it's just it's so broad and so important. And the other side is that you know, I can imagine there's a hundred different solutions at each stage of that four point marker there that you, you could tie together. And I imagine that you make the operational and cost value based you know, discussion on a, on a regular basis saying, you know, you should really put all that together and not cobble that. Uh, from a bunch of solutions because the operational and, and management costs and overhead would be so extreme. Absolutely. And I mean, the way I look at it is if you try and build it yourself, you know, by downloading open source components or whatever your approach is, you're never going to catch up to a vendor that's been doing this for 10 years and on a day-to-day basis sees, you know, edge cases and corner cases um, that basically serve to make the platform that we sell better. I mean, every time we interact with a, a project on a customer site, um, it eventually makes its way back into the platform uh, and makes it more robust and more accommodating to additional use cases. So, you know, the argument I would give to those tempted to build it themselves is, you know, think about quality and think about time to value um, and, and, you know, let, let's get moving because there's, there's really no time to waste. Absolutely. Um, okay. Shifting gears. This is the fun time. So here's the lightning round. These are critically important questions. Star Wars or Star Trek? Uh, Star Wars. <laughs> uh, what are you reading right now? Uh, Outlander. Oh, excellent. Excellent. What can't you live without? Hmm. That's a good one. Oh, geez. My family. Oh, that's good. I hope they listen. (laughs) 
What's the last thing you Googled for work? Uh, analyst reports. Aha. So, okay, there's a classic episode. I don't know if you're a fan of The Office, but uh, Absolutely. Jim is messing with Dwight and he's sending him faxes from future Dwight. And he's messing with them. He's saying, you know, the coffee is poisoned or, you know, different things like that. And it always makes me think, because I like to ask the question, if I handed you a piece of paper and one of those big, thick black Sharpies and you are now future Scott and you can send one page back to yourself to, you know, past Scott, what would you write on that page? Uh, well, it would be don't, some version of don't sweat the small stuff. And I would, uh, I would point out all the small stuff that happened to me since uh, in, in the Delta era. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a popular answer. Um, it, jumped, it jumped into your head quickly. So, you know, I'm curious, like, why, you know, what, how has that framed your, your thinking about, you know, your current life? Well, you know, we're all susceptible to, um, you know, that we got so many things coming at us. Marketers uh, are behind a lot of it. And, uh, you know, you, you have to find your true north and, uh, and keep, keep your sights on it. And don't let any of these other things become a distraction because they'll try. And I think it's and if they succeed, you know, the consequences can be can be dire. And I'm, I'm talking professionally, but also personally, you, you, you really got to keep your your um your your head up and your eye on on those things that you value absolutely well scott man thanks for joining today really good to have you and thanks for the insights all right you're welcome thanks ledge thanks for listening to the frontier podcast produced by gun.io we're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers if you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us head over to gun.io slash podcast to get in touch and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast, produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast, and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.